patients at risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. I'm your host, the co-author of the book, Patients at Risk, and the follow-up book, Imposter Doctors, Rebecca Bernard. On this podcast, we have discussed the challenges that patients face in trying to receive care from a physician rather than a non-physician practitioner. Today, we are being joined by Hasina Hafiz. She is going to share her story about experiencing serious medical complications during her pregnancy. And we are also joined by Dr. John Lafferty, a retired OBGYN, to help us understand the importance of obstetrician-led care during pregnancy. Hi, Hasina. How are you? Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So maybe we can just start out by having you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. You know, my name is Hasina. I live in uh, Illinois and uh, I currently have, you know, I'm married. I have four kids. I used to work as a uh, research associate uh, for a company and um, that was, uh, I quit back in 2019 to stay at home with the kids. So, and uh, basically uh, my story is about um, what happened um, earlier this year when I was pregnant with my fourth child. What happened with your pregnancy? You were 39, right? Correct. Yes, I was 39 at the time. And before you go into that, John, 39 is uh, that number means something in OB, right? Talk to us about risks when it comes to a maternal age. Well, it is a risk factor. It's 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 certainly uh, one that we all recognize. And I think the three common things that you see when you're looking at a 39-year-old is increased risk of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, increased risk of diabetes, and then, of course, there's an increased risk that the child will have a chromosomal problem. Those are all things that can be managed during the pregnancy, but it is a high-risk factor. So even though, Hasina, you were really healthy and you had had three other healthy pregnancies, this was number four. So, I mean, it's not unreasonable to say maybe a nurse midwife could manage this, but needs a lot of oversight and make sure everything's okay. Is that right, John? Absolutely. Especially if the patient asked to be seen by a physician, I think it would be reasonable if the clinic she went to had only midwives that would be explained to her. But I think a, a at least a one-time physician visit would be extremely reasonable, especially given that she had a high-risk factor. But Hasina, that didn't happen, right? You wanted to see a doctor, but you really struggled. Tell us about that. Uh, Correct. Yes. I chose this clinic basically based on um, my insurance. So my options were were limited. So I was, you know, basically trying to find one nearby that would accept my insurance and, you know, we're accepting new patients. So I did find this this clinic site, and when I went there for my first visit, you know, I was seen by an advanced practitioner nurse, and I I asked, you know, if I if I was going to be seen by an OBGYN, and I was told that you know patients were usually seen by um, the advanced practitioner nurse as well as the midwives, and I, to the best of my knowledge, I think the rationale that they gave me was that the midwives were just as trained to be able to take care of most expecting patients. Thanks for sharing that. I just want to ask John, you mentioned an advanced practice nurse as well as a nurse midwife. Are we seeing both of those in OB now, non-midwife nurse practitioners doing obstetrics? I think so. And again, I I think that most advanced practitioners are are well-trained and the nurse midwives are well-trained and they can manage most things. 
I do think we do believe in a team-based approach. And again, I would have said if, if she wanted to see a physician, at least for one time, I think she should have been allowed to. And I would have, I think that would have helped her in her feeling good about the care being rendered that somebody was overlooking this case, at least at least by looking at the chart. And I, we don't know if that was happening or not. How did you feel, Hasina, when you were told this? Did you just sort of accept what they said? And it sound, it's pretty awkward to like push back against something like this, right? Mm-hmm, right. And, um, you know, I guess the only reason I went through with it was because it, it wasn't my first pregnancy. And the initial findings, you know, they said, you know, everything looks fine, you know, looks okay. And then, you know, for all the routine checkups I, I went in for, you know, it seemed to be progressing you know, normally. And um, so that that's why I didn't really push back too much. I thought, okay, maybe, you know, as long as I feel okay, then maybe, maybe it is okay. Yeah. I mean, that's totally reasonable. I mean, it's, I, I talked to a lot of physicians that actually experience similar and even they feel a little awkward or they don't want to be pushy. And they just say, well, if every, if they say everything's okay, then I'll just go along with it. And, you know, hopefully everything is okay, but sometimes things come up, which is sort of what happened to you. Everything was pretty much fine throughout your pregnancy. And then when you went to deliver the baby, first of all, you had a couple of things happen. You, you never had a physician involved in your delivery. Is that right? During the actual, yeah, labor and the actual delivery, I I was not seen by a physician during that time. And there were some problems, like the baby's heartbeat was, they were having a hard time detecting it and things like that? Correct. There were two times when, uh, I think through the monitors, they were not detecting the heartbeat or the heartbeat was going low. I, I can't remember exactly, but um, those two times, like there were a group of nurses that just rushed into the room and, you know, they had to like move mm-hmm. my position. They said, we, you know, we can't detect the RB, we have to, you know, so I was a little bit panicked, you know, I, and I wasn't sure what was going on. And I was also just, it was very hard for me to move. I mean, there was literally three, four nurses, like physically moving my body in or in, mm-hmm. you know, trying to see if they could um, get the heartbeat. So um, the midwife who was in charge you know, who who was assigned to me, like she was also there and trying to, you know, give uh, instructions and, and whatnot. So, I mean, thankfully, like, you know, nothing happened from that. You know, I'm glad, you know, that, you know, there wasn't any complications from those, but I mean, it was still, you know, kind of nerve wracking, you know, for a bit. So, yeah, yeah it must've been. John, is that pretty common for something like this yeah. to happen? How long do you have before you really better call a physician in to check it, things out? It it really does happen a lot, and I really don't have an issue with with that. I, the nurses, the labor nurses, and the nurse midwives are well capable of managing that sort of thing. It happens all the time. You are going to reposition the body, possibly even inter- put an internal scalp electrode, which is a little more accurate in picking up the heartbeat. If they, if that's the case, apparently they were able to get the heartbeat back. So uh, that's well within the scope of practice of the people that were there. So um, no, no issues. With Is that. a scalp electrode also something that a nurse midwife would do? Absolutely. So uh, the baby came out, did have mm-hmm. a, the cord around his neck, but he had no problems. Everything went well. Uh, but then the more challenges did happen after the delivery, which was regarding the delivery of the placenta. So tell us about your experience with that. After I had held the baby and then, you know, I gave the baby back to the nurse and then, so they were, uh, you know, it was time to deliver the placenta. So 
Um, my husband, who was in the room, he's also a foreign trained physician, you know, by background. According to him, like the midwife had tugged on the cord so hard that it ended up snapping off while they were trying to pull the placenta out of my body. So, you know, it surprised him. And of course, uh, the handling midwife, you know, I guess they didn't realize that was going to happen. And she tried um, to take it out manually by, you know, going inside me, you know, physically and, you know, going inside my uterus with her hand, but she was unsuccessful in in doing that. So John, talk to us about this situation. I know that sometimes cords do snap and things like that. How common is this? And what are your thoughts when you hear this story? Well, certainly none of us were there to to see what happened. Uh, It's it's certainly possible to pull too hard and evolve the cord off the placenta. There are some situations of the shape of the placenta there's something called a velaminous insertion where the cord doesn't really attach to the thick part of the placenta, but it attaches to the membranes and the vessels are running along the membranes going in the placenta. That would be a situation, and that's not a, a rare uh, configuration of the placenta, and that would be it be more likely to evolve the cord in that situation or if it was somehow otherwise eccentrically or not centrally placed. So that happens to all practitioners, including midwives and physicians. Manual removal, we want, um, you know, in physicians for patient protection, I think it's critical that we be completely accurate about what, you know, non-physicians can do. And this is a situation where a certified nurse midwife is, it's in their scope of practice to attempt the manual removal. What I do think, though, is that those can be easy or they can be difficult, and it can be a sign of something really serious going on, the most serious being something called a placenta accreta, which fortunately she didn't have, where the placenta grows into the muscle wall of the uterus and you cannot detach it, and in many cases, it results in an emergency hysterectomy. Now, Either the midwife nor if a physician was on site would absolutely know that that was the situation until they attempted to remove it. In my opinion, a midwife and the ones, and I I worked with midwives for over 10 years, I had them in my practice and, and we had a wonderful relationship. They would have called me in, even if they were going to do the manual removal, they would want me there in case they couldn't do it or one of these more rare, serious situations were to arise. And, you know, according to this account, this this didn't happen uh, right away uh, and some time elapsed. And, uh, you know, placentas can be easy to remove or difficult. And most obstetricians have a lot more experience doing that than most midwives. You've got to think about the rare things, and I, you wonder about the midwife. That's the difference in a non-physician practitioner or physician. My first thinking is, how come that it could have, the easy thing is, yes, the cord just evolved off, and the placenta's fine and comes out easily. Well, she couldn't get it out, and now she calls a physician. First thing in my mind is, is this an accreta? Right. It's her fourth baby. Right. The the risk risk of that goes up a little bit. I assume she had three regular vaginal deliveries with the first pregnancy, but it's never a never. And um, you know, in the last year of my practice, I had a patient. I was the health department. We sent somebody over who was 19 years old, first baby. Risk factor for a accreta was very, very, very low. 
But that's in fact what happened. And she wound up losing her uterus at the oh. age of 19 with one baby. She wow. That's it for her. But you've just got, you just can't ever think, not think of the rare stuff. I think the take home for me with just pregnancy in general is it looks really, really easy when everything goes right, you know, on TV and things like that. But there are so many things that can go wrong. And when they do go wrong, they can be catastrophic and require immediate attention. So in this case, the nurse midwife did uh, attempt to remove the placenta. She was not successful. So at that point, she called in the physician. And, And so what happened then, Hasina? Yes, then the physician did come in and yeah, that was that was my first time seeing the physician, you know, for the delivery. So I think she pretty much used the same procedure as as the midwife. But yeah, she went in with her hand and then she was able to physically um, take it out with herself. So there were a couple times later on, like after I came home when like pieces of the placenta, I guess, you know, came out of me. <laughs> so um, then I had to go back in to again to the outpatient clinic. It was a sister clinic of the main clinic I I was seeing, but then she also went in and took out another piece. So, you know, it was a little bit nerve wracking, like, okay, what is this? Like, you know, my placenta is still like in my body or or something. So you asked to see if they could do an ultrasound and uh, they said, oh, you don't need that. John, what is that? Is an ultrasound typically indicated in something like this? Well, I certainly think Fortunately, it, it sounds like she wasn't bleeding heavily, so that was in, certainly in her favor. If, if we, you know, we can certainly believe that there were pieces of the placenta that were still coming out. So I think I would have done an ultrasound to see where we were at with this, because it would have very easily shown that there was anything left up inside, which wouldn't have been necessarily a departure from standard of care of the obstetrician. She, she did her best to get to get that out. But sometimes you can get a delayed bleed or, you know, a retained placenta can become infected. So I would have probably done an ultrasound just to see where things are. It's very easy to do. And in most cases, if there's a few pieces of placenta, they'll just pass and nothing will happen. But it's just nice to know. You know, it sounds like beyond that, that uh, she did pretty well. Yes. And now how's your son? He's good and healthy? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I think he's fine. He's yeah, he's six months old, actually. Oh, and you're doing well. You're recovered from all of this. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, you know, there were no uh, complications. And yeah, doing well, at least. I think the most important message from this story, it concerns me that Hasina, you asked multiple times to see a physician and what you were told was, you don't need one. Uh, it's it's fine. And part of that issue was an insurance limitation. And you were actually on Medicaid at the time, which is very common for pregnant women. And we've seen in studies that women and just patients in general that are on Medicaid or lower socioeconomic status or, or attend community health centers are much less likely to receive care from a physician. Um, What do you think when you hear something like that? You have a master's in public health, so you understand a lot about the healthcare system. Do you have thoughts about that? Oh, yeah, it's definitely concerning. And I've I've also seen instances, you know, of patients who who are on Medicaid not receiving that quality of care. So it it is a concerning topic as as someone in in public health. And I'm sure, you know, the solution is... It's complicated. I, I, you know, I hope it's something that, you know, can be addressed. And, you know, you, I mean, the last thing you want is a patient not receiving the care that he or she needs because of, you know, the 
level of insurance they have. So, John, you mentioned that you worked very closely with nurse midwives and you had a true team approach in which you communicated very uh, very uh, aggressively with that with your midwives, they communicated back with you. It sounds like you probably knew everything that was going on, but it feels like that real relationship is happening less and less. Is that right. something that you've noticed as time has gone by compared to when you started practice to now? Well, there's no question about that, and you know, I think I think the story, the take home story, is that. This is an example, and she is an example, Asina is an example, of a trend that's going on in this country, which I think is unwelcome, that we're separating into two different tiers of standard of care based upon ability to pay, and um, the poor are going to be more likely to get a non-physician practitioner. Uh, The well-healed or well-insured are going to be more likely to get a physician. I think that even in, I think, good care can be rendered in places like health departments where perhaps non-physician practitioners are there as long as a physician is involved. And that's where the breakdown's occurring is that sometimes the physician is very remote and is virtually not involved in the care. And that has been my personal concern about this. In my own private practice with midwives, I reviewed 100% of their charts, and it didn't take very long. And yes, 98% of the time, what they were doing was exactly what I would have done, and they were rendering excellent, excellent care. The other 2%, I said, you know, I think maybe I better see this person. And there was no issue about that, and I saw them. And to me, that is allowing the physician to have an extender I was able to see a lot more patients with this. They knew where their role was. I think they were very happy in doing what they were doing. And I think that that is the standard of care that ought to be adopted. And we're not seeing that throughout this country. And I think that's the concern of of the organization Physicians for Patient Protection. Yeah, like in the case of Hasina, uh, you have a 39-year-old woman that presents and is getting midwife care. If she had come to your clinic, hypothetically, is this a patient that you would at least have wanted to see once, or would she have had to ask for it? What would have been your protocol? I would have seen her one time, and I think given that she was otherwise low risk, according to what we're hearing from her today, uh, the midwife would have seen her for the vast majority of the care and would have been doing the delivery. And I, I would have been called in at the point where the cord evolved off, and I would have been there probably before the midwife even attempted a manual removal. And again, in my particular practice, I was 10 minutes away at the most. So that that's the only issues I have with the care, and I'm just delighted that all it all turned out so well for her. Well, that's why I wanted to have this this podcast episode because our organization and this podcast is not here to say that NPs and PAs should not be a part of medical care, team-based care. When it's done, it works very, very well. In this case, everything turned out okay, although there were some areas where uh, it would have been nice to have physician oversight and had something gone seriously wrong, like the placenta accreta, we absolutely would have needed a physician involvement. 
But the point is, though, when we're working together, patients can get great care. And unfortunately, though, the trend that we're seeing is more and more demands for independent practice, more removal of physicians. And even though maybe it'll only happen a tiny percent of the time that where something bad could happen, if it's you that it's happening to, you really want to know that there's a physician there. So Hasina, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience about uh, what you've experienced? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I really hope this isn't the trend that's that we're headed headed to. And um, yeah, the last thing I want is a patient, you know, not getting that that standard of care. I think that's very important that everyone receives the highest quality that, that they can get, regardless of how much they can afford. I mean, I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to it. John, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I think the latest AMA survey said that 95% of patients in the United States would like a physician to be involved in their care. That doesn't mean they need to be exclusively involved, but in her particular case, from her story, she would have liked to have seen a physician more than she was apparently allowed to see. Right. And that is a big concern when you're asking for a physician and you're told no, or you're told you don't need it. Um, that is definitely something that we need to address. And patients should have the right to ask for physician involvement if they have concerns about their care, to have their questions answered. That should not be a problem in our country. And when we're functioning in teams, then that means that a physician should be available if a, if a patient wants or needs them. So Hasina Hafiz, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it and your advocacy. Dr. John Lafferty, thank you so much for helping us to understand the scenarios and why it's really important that all healthcare practitioners work together in teams with physicians. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, I encourage you to get the book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, and the follow-up book, Imposter Doctors, Patients at Risk. They're both available at Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. And if you're a physician and you'd like to learn more about getting involved in advocating for physician-led care and truth and transparency among healthcare practitioners, please join our group. It's called Physicians for Patient Protection. Our website is physiciansforpatientprotection.org. Also, if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, just send me an email. You can contact me through the website patientsatrisk.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next episode.